You're listening to the Irish Times. I've been left on my own this week on the Out of Time podcast. Um, Pat Nugent is way off skiing somewhere in Europe, but I've been joined by the fantastic Mary Hannigan. Thanks for helping me out, Mary. I'm hoping Pat is not enjoying his holiday, so he never goes in one again. <laughs> um, we uh, are facing into a weekend, an uber weekend of sport. It is, uh, it is the weekend, essentially, to banish all family, yeah. uh, abandon all friends, yeah. Dog doesn't get walked. Dog doesn't get walked. Oh. All you get is you, the couch, the remote That's control. It. That's it. And take it from there. It is beyond epic this yeah. weekend. I mean, let's face it, most weekends you could sit from morning to night and there'd be something Well, on. I mean, that is but the dream. That, yeah, well, yeah, that's true. But the quality of the fair this weekend is, is quite good. And there is that fairly large affair in London. I think Fulham QPR. Fulham so, QPR. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and then apparently there's a rugby match as there well. There is I apparently think. a rugby yeah. match somewhere along the yeah. way. Of course, my, my weekend starts essentially as soon as uh, we say goodbye here yeah. uh, because I, I am going to watch the racing for the afternoon. Okay. The Gold Cup is this afternoon. So by the time people are listening to this, uh, I will, uh, well, I'll be four pints in and, uh, Will you have made your fortune? Uh, hopefully, okay. hopefully. Uh, How are you doing so far? I'm doing very well so far. Are you? <laughs> well, I do. I don't mean to boast, but yes, so I'm drinks doing quite. On you, uh, drinks on me, yeah, okay. yeah. If you can find me in one of Dublin's uh, <laughs> 1700 pubs, um, but beyond that, there is just you could literally sit from now until Monday morning easily. Quite easily. I mean, TV3, their coverage of the rugby tomorrow lasts for seven and a half hours. I think even Matt Williams might run out of things to say. Well, I heard uh, Matt was talking to our our sports desk here during the week uh, and he said uh, something along the lines of, uh, yeah, we're going to be in there and uh, we're going to be with each other for eight hours. And I didn't know whether that sounded more like a threat. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, if the Grand Slam is won, they'll probably just let the programme flow all night. Indeed, maybe abandon four in the morning. Yeah. Ireland's Got Talent will be dumped for, for, for this week. So yeah, I mean, it's epic. The rugby's okay. I kind of feel sorry for Wales and France. They're up last. And like, does anyone kind of care? Well, certainly not in this country. No, we'll not be no, watching that. No. But there's any amount of gown, there's any amount of there anything. There are the club finals. I mean, it's just incredible. Incredible. Bit of clashing, though. We have problems that way. Yeah. So you're going to have to do a lot of recording and then, like, don't answer the phone or certainly don't check Twitter or any of that. <laughs> um, and, of course, another of the big ones, Man United and Brighton in the FA Cup, who, which, as we know now, is more important than the Champions League. Of course. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Jose it is, it is the most significant uh, competition yeah. left in world soccer yeah. this year. Yeah. Which is why he probably fielded an understrength team I, that was in it, yeah. the Champions League. All focus was on Brighton. <laughs> I have a good quote for you from uh, Marca in Spain about Marino. Uh, he's starting to look like a washed-up rock star, one of those guys that goes around holiday hotels for pensioners playing old hits on an organ with the <laughs> bass and percussion playing on a tape recorder. <laughs> it's quite cold, isn't it? <laughs> that is fairly cutting, all Well, right. if they beat Brighton, I hope they, you know... 
print an apology. I presume Marco will be sending their full staff to see whether I they would do or don't. I would be pretty sure. Or the <laughs> club finals, you don't know which. <laughs> well, look, the one thing that would, everybody would be watching, certainly in Ireland, I guess, would be watching the Grand Slam game in Twickenham uh, on Saturday afternoon. Uh, our Irish Times rugby team has basically decamped en masse to England uh, over the last couple of days. But we're joined by two of them now. We'll catch up with John O'Sullivan in a second. But first of all, Gavin Comiskey, you've sort of essentially fashioned yourself into an unlikely undercover spy in the England camp. Is that about right? Yeah, well, it was actually an accident, Mal. I um, got the red eye over into Heathrow yesterday. So I got it's got an Uber at the Penny Hill Park, um, which I've been to a couple of times over the years. Um, it's like something from The Lord of the Rings. It's out in a leafy bagshot. That's where the English uh, are camped up all the time, if they have been for, for decades. And um, when I went out, I had three hours till the press conference and none of the none of the media area was set up or anything like that. So I innocently enough said, I'll go into the bar. So I took a left and I think I'm pretty sure I went into the residence bar and I walked in and to my right was Eddie Jones there with his just looming little glance at me under his spectacles. And so I took a left and went into the far corner. And I had a shirt on and slack. So I looked, besides the scraggly beard, I looked relatively respectable and just sat down, set up the laptop and actually couldn't take out the papers because they all had uh, pictures of him saying I apologize on them. <laughs> so I just sat there and uh, just just started to do all my work, start going through work. And every so often, um, literally, like clockwork, every minute or two, a player would come in. And I thought nothing of it because the first guy came in was Danny Kerr. And I went, well, he's not going to drop Danny Kerr, so it's got nothing to do with selection. Then Luke Cowan-Dickey came in. Then George Ford came in. Then, so then I realized that he was in about 30 seconds to about to 90 second meetings was basically telling people who aren't playing this weekend. Or it, was, it was George Ford that gave it away, was it? Yeah, yeah. But like, now I could be wrong, but it was a little bit of a too much of a too good to be true. So I was sitting there going, God, I have to keep the head down here. And I was, I think I might have watched the um, the coach, England coach delivering the message to the players. And if that's the case, it's done very quickly. He just rips the plaster off mm. and the players are in, out, gone. And I, I felt like it was happening because Dylan Hartley did come in then next. And he was uh, very happy, a very, very happy man. And then all the coaches came in and then I really just kept the head down. And when the press conference came later on, did uh, Eddie catch your eye and go, hey, wait a minute, undercover elephant? <laughs> I actually couldn't make eye contact with him. <laughs> I literally just kept the head down at the back of the room. And um, the English lads had their um, knives out, so there was no need for me to be interrupting. They were all going at him. The live press conference, he came in, sat down and goes, look, I want to apologise for what I said about the Irish and the Welsh. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, it's a dead issue now. And I'm fair play to him. I I, yeah. I I I completely agree with him. I, I couldn't yeah. I couldn't be less interested in that part of it this week. Me neither. But everyone in the English media, then, well, that's not going to happen. Eddie. Yeah. You, you don't get to tell us <laughs> what issues are dead or alive. You said these things, and Arnie went. This is all second captain's fault. <laughs> so he got he got. Well, I've never away. heard of second captains. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so he got hammered away there, and then it came into the print one. And the print lads are a bit more clever. They were like. How much has it impacted on you and on your preparation on the team? And to the point where he got monosyllabic, which, as I was saying in my print today, was uh, when Eddie Jones stops talking, everyone's in trouble. So, And there was plenty of other topics to be dealing with. But he was in a particularly bad mood because he couldn't joke his way out of stuff yesterday yeah. because he joked his way into so much trouble. You know. Well, John, let's let's turn to those other topics. The, the game itself... Um, 
It's such an interesting setup. Uh, we are usually on the other side of this equation. We're usually the ones sharpening our knives for a team that's coming here thinking that they're world, in for world domination. Um, it's going to be a little weird for the shoes to be on the other feet. Yeah, I think from the culture, it's definitely a change from an Irish perspective, but that shows you where the team is at at the moment. It's um, it's very much a case of they're the form team. If you look at if you drew a form line um, through the tournament, Ireland four wins, England have lost their last two matches and two wins out of four. So there is an expectation within the squad. It was funny down in, in Carton House looking at the, the players' body language. Sometimes you would feel that given what's on the line on Saturday, that they would be maybe slightly uptight or a little bit distracted. But they were they were very relaxed, uh, laughing and joking. And, and that was common through all the players, all the interviews. There was, there was no fuss. It wasn't as if they, they, they were impatient to get all this done. They just seemed very relaxed. They looked like uh, a bunch of people who have done all their homework, uh, who have studied hard and have no fear of the exam that's coming. Now, you might say two days out from a match, they're not likely to be walking around like zombies or petrified, but there was that air of, of kind of, um, I suppose, uh, quiet, uh, calm uh, assurance, basically, in what they've done. And obviously that they're pretty happy with the way training went and they've taken huge confidence from what they've achieved so far in the tournament. It's all been a wee bit poo-faced down there, John, as well, though, hasn't it? Like, I even heard Rob Carney interviewed uh, this morning or overnight, I'm not sure which, where, you know, it was sort of put to him, you know, Ireland have won the championship here without ever really hitting their straps. And he can, oh, very much so, definitely. And I'm going, lads, they're after winning the championship here. Like, this, I know it's become a bit more regular. I know this is three and five years, but, like... The country isn't particularly used to this. I'm I'm just a bit surprised that it's all so straight-laced. Is, is it just that the Grand Slam is such a huge thing and nobody wants to get ahead of themselves? I think you're right. I think it has been, uh, to a point, a little bit joyless. Um, but there is this thing of next game, next game, next game. And, and it, it's very much, and it's a bit of a sporting cliche process-driven rather than focusing on the outcome. And a lot of this, I was looking through the Irish team, and I think of the 20 Irish-born players, 18 have played schools rugby. So they come from that culture uh, of every game is a cup final. They've got through four cup finals. And what they have done, what they have tried to do, and it's uniform in terms of everything the players and management have said all week, is that this is just another game. This is a game, and they're not playing the occasion. They're not playing the venue. They are playing a team. They're preparing for a team, and they're preparing to try and win their fifth game in a tournament. And that's what it is. And they have occasionally, the kind of the word cup final has come in. They've played four cup finals, and this is the fifth cup final. Uh, you're right in the sense that, that, that if you push them a little bit, they turn around and say, well, yeah, no, it's great that we've won the tournament in the Six Nations, and no matter what happens on Saturday, that can't be taken away from us. But I think they appreciate that these... These days don't come around too often, and to do to win a Grand Slam at Twickenham would be arguably, you know, not that you would stack up the two other Grand Slams that Ireland won, but to win it in in against a team like England at Twickenham would there would be an argument to say that it, it, it's probably the best of the three. Gav, uh, let's get on to England a bit. What has happened to this crowd? Like, I can't get over. Not not even so much that they're that they're losing games. Every team can lose games, but they're they're so dull. How how have they become so dull? Um, well, they have. Funny enough, and this is no excuse, and they can't use it. They have been decimated by key injuries, and Mario Tojes is not the player he was last year. That's just so obvious. Uh, Billy Vonapola was. It just shows that 
there was a little bit of a house of cards element to England that's been exposed now because when they lose these guys, a lot of their kind of things that they've done to go forward have fallen apart. George Ford deserves to be on the bench. Uh, he's just drifted deeper and deeper into the into the hole. But um, I don't know. There was kind of an, an idea that maybe they pressured at Eddie Jones heaps on, on on his teams, that he's always been kind of a short-term solution, um, not unlike the way Checker comes in. And that for him to come in and be a long-term success, for him to work in the English context, while it's been exceptional until now, um, might be just coming undone. But having said all that, look what he's done this week. He's gone back to Saracens. He's put a Saracens halfback team in. He's put Cruz in the second row with a Toje. He's gone with... Um, He's, he, there is kind of tiny little things that he. It's not just roll the dice, roll the dice. Rob Shaw, Haskell, Simmons. That back row just isn't up to Test match standards at all. Yes, <laughs> they're in Twickenham, and we'd be so careful. We're hearing all these things about um, Ireland are a better team, and logically we should definitely win the game. That's all true, but so many of these players. Gary Ringrose has never played in Twickenham. Like for all his brilliance and magnificence and all that. There is a whole new baseball over the back of the head note sound that Gordon Darcy described as one time going into Paris and Twickenham that these lads aren't ready for, that Ireland just will not be able to prepare for. And it's not any other game. And it's not even a cup final. It's something completely different. It's England shooting from the hip. It's not their cup final. It's them trying desperate not to be humiliated at home. John, that's that's an interesting thing about England here. Is What is their motivation? It, are like... Are these individual players playing for their future, or is it like when when England come here uh, with four games won, and all we want to do is stop them winning the Grand Slam, even if it's of no particular use to us? That that the the worth of stopping a Grand Slam is a, is a reward in itself. I certainly think they remember last year and what happened to them over here. But I think you're right. I think four or five of these players given Eddie Jones' nature, will understand that if they, if they underperform or don't perform again on Saturday, then Eddie Jones isn't the most patient man, as Gav uh, outlined in his story earlier on. And obviously, he did a brilliant job of uh, and supports the analogy that the best place to hide is in plain sight. Um, I think the fact that, they, um, that, that there is huge pressure on a number of players to perform or else be discarded. And when you're this close, relatively speaking, to a World Cup. That, that places huge pressure on the England team on Saturday. I think that they will want, obviously that there's a desire, they're playing at home, and they feel they have to atone for two uh, pretty poor, by their standards, performances in the last couple of matches, and they will want, they will want a massive improvement in front of their home fans. Um, and that in itself makes the first 20 minutes of the match hugely interesting, because if you take... If you take Eddie Jones' uh, scummy Irish comment out of it, it, that defeat last year at the Aviva Stadium obviously rankled with him. It will have it will have uh, annoyed and frustrated and disappointed some of the players who are obviously still involved in the squad. So that is a motivation in itself. The team that 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 Eddie Jones has picked um, will be hugely physical to control the game. If you look at how Ireland have won their four matches. They've controlled possession and they've controlled territory and they've done exceptionally well at the breakdown. Ireland have won more rooks than any other team in the tournament. England have lost more rooks than any other team in the tournament. If you listen to what the players and management were saying from England all week is that they have focused on the breakdown. The breakdown has become a key word. If you look at Sam Simmons, who's playing number eight for England, he is small by modern standards. He's about six foot. But he's, he's big in, uh, in that respect. But England has picked Kyle Sinclair because they want to carry. They want to keep the ball. They will have worked 
on how they can keep the ball. Gav mentioned it earlier on. Richard Wigglesworth, that's Saracen's halfback combination. We'll bring an understanding. Wigglesworth box kicking is is as good nearly as Conor Murray's. So England will come with a very sharp focus. They look to to improve massively, which they have to do at the breakdown. They look to control ball. They'll look to work Ireland really hard so that they can get them to bite in a bit narrow in defence. And then they'll go to the wider channels where some teams have got joy against Ireland this season. But but first and foremost, England will look to dominate what they call, as the cliche, the, the corridor of power, which is closer in, get Ireland to squeeze their defence a bit and then attack them out wide. But all this is predicated on doing the basics extremely well, having energy, dynamism. And in those first 20 minutes, if Ireland uh, can... and use an expression, put some manners on England, can match them physically. Then the doubts start to creep in, and if England, they can start to force some errors from this side, because Eddie Jones has rolled dice, he's made seven changes, um, and there's huge pressure individually and collectively, um, and, and that will filter down from the stands eventually. If England don't produce that performance and don't give the crowd something to get involved in, if the crowd aren't involved, and you've got, and you will have a big Irish support, um, then suddenly the atmosphere changes in the stadium and it's not supportive. Gav, just focus on that breakdown uh, thing for a minute. Like, famously, England brought a, a, their own approach to the Scotland game in terms of the breakdown. Do you, can they just switch suddenly? Do, do you think that, that that's possible to totally change your attitude to, to, to your ideas of how it's going to work just in the space of a couple of weeks? That's why Van der Besthuizen came in, Mal, um, this week. The, refer- the referee. He was brought in, they specifically, Eddie Jones specifically asked World Rugby, he went, give me a Southern Hemisphere referee so we can prepare for Southern Hemisphere referees to, who are going to referee us at the breakdown because the way we've been refereed at the breakdown has and it, it, it just been destroyed because they they've just misinterpreted it. And he's had to admit this, but they were trying to put in one person, a lot of the time, Rob Shaw, to secure attacking ball. So they had 13 people in the back line for Danny Kerr to aim at. Um, Van der Vestesen came in this week, worked with them, um, it was pointed out that he's on the touchline on the weekend. World Rugby realised how much they'd just made an absolute mess. How they were just so frightened that in the last, the last play of the game, the TMO and the referee and everybody will, will be won't be able to see it, and it'll be mm. down to Van der Vesthuizen to either take the Grand Slam or give the Grand Slam to Ireland. And they went, just the optics of this are so bad, and so they've thrown Nigel Owens onto the uh, the line. Mm. It, that is like so. From an Irish perspective, that's great. Bit of justice being done there and all that. But imagine how pissed off the English and Eddie Jones are, having worked with this man who's going to be on the touchline, and they'd done nothing wrong. And then to be told Thursday evening, sorry, the guy who has explained how he'd interpret uh, the weekend's play, who you've been given as a gift, has now been taken away. So that's just, I can't tell you how annoyed Dylan Hartley was when he came in and spoke to the media yesterday. There's already a lot of animosity between him and um, the English hacks. And he just, there was a lot of just him staring at people. Like, you, you, you really have to realise how angry this English bunch are. And that can turn into, and we've seen them, we've seen average English teams like put 40 points and destroy the All Blacks in this stadium. When they score, they don't just score one try, they score three tries when they get up and running. They've Watson, May, Elliot Daly. Like, so we have to make sure we don't get destroyed in the opening 20 minutes. And if we can avoid that, we'll probably almost certainly win the game. You reckon so, Gav, yeah? Yeah, yeah. It's just, uh, you, you can see it. Like, go back to the time they did, they, they whipped the All Blacks here in Twickenham. There's loads of examples of England just destroying teams, but it's an emotional thing. And Eddie Jones has said it. Look, physically, we're up to scratch of the players we have left. 
but uh, there's no uh, everything is emotional. Everything is 100% mental. Uh, so on the premise that a really scalded, scalded England are going to have their act together in that regard. Um, we just have to take, uh, again, as Darcy described, Leo Cullen once said as a captain before the Claremont game in 2012, look, the avalanche is going to fall on us. We just have to survive it. So if, even if they go 10 points, if Ireland go nine, 10 points down, the key thing is then score next. So if, as long as that happens, um, Ireland will grind out the game because they're a better team. John, what do you, what do you make of it uh, as a result, one way or the other? Yeah, no, I'd agree 100% with Gav. I think Ireland will win it on the proviso that they produce uh, a performance that's arguably been slightly more rounded than anything they've produced so far in the tournament. They're the better team. I think I get a feeling from, from being down in Carton House and talking to the players that they appreciate that themselves. It's not like the old days where you had to have an Irish team overperform to produce this massive result. I think the team, the Irish team, and the form that they've shown during this tournament, they're in a better place than England are. I take Gav's point that if England start well and you know their tails are up, then they, they will, and if they, if they dominate or if they bully Ireland physically initially during the game, that will give them confidence. And then they can build their way into the game. So it's very important that Ireland start strongly uh, you know, and uh, retain the ball in, in a pretty similar manner to, to what they've done in, in the game so far. I, I looked at a stat and I, I think this is right. James Ryan has never lost a match in senior rugby. Ten games for Leinster and eight games for Ireland. That's 18 first-class matches, and he's never lost. But these guys under these guys come from that background. It's in their DNA to play cup rugby, a lot of the team. And they understand what's required. And they, they, they feel that they're confident in their own ability to measure up. And I think ultimately that's what it's about. It's about Ireland having the confidence in the way they want to play um, and having the, having the quality of player. And I think Ireland do have the quality of player to win this game. I don't think they have to overperform. I just think they have to perform to a level that represents that quality. That's my note of caution, though, Mal and John, because um, England aren't going to come in and play cup rugby. England aren't going to come in and play the way you expect them to play. England are playing with like, their reputations on the line. They, literally, if Haskell doesn't show up in this game, he will never play for England again. He probably won't even get a contract in an English premiership club. Like it, that's how high the stakes are for some of these guys. Um, and in that regard, like Hartley, I think he's been very well behaved in the last few seasons because he wanted to keep well for the last few months because he wanted to keep the England captaincy. That's what I like the window now. He doesn't. He's going to be himself. You're going to see the real Dylan Hartley, <laughs> the elbows. It's going to be as like Bundyaki and Ben Do you think the two of them aren't going to go seek each other out as quick as they possibly can? Um, rugby's violent this will be particularly so well we'll all uh, enjoy the violence and luxuriate in it as uh, the savages we are listen lads thanks very much uh, go about your day over there and uh, enjoy the weekend in the St. Patrick's weekend edition of the Irish Times we go green for the most Irish weekend of the year in a special Irish issue of the magazine we guide you through a dozen things every Irish person should do before they die plus a guide to the finest food fashion and folklore Ireland has to offer and a look at the rebirth of the Irish B&B as the Irish march on Twickenham in search of Grand Slam glory, Jerry Thornley, Gavin Comiskey and Matt Williams weigh up options for Ireland on what could be a memorable day in London. And in our three Grand Slam competition, predict the time of the last score of the Ireland game to win an incredible €3,000. Get all the details in this weekend's paper. Pick up your copy before it's too late. The Irish Times weekend. Your St. Patrick's weekend is in good hands. Terms and conditions apply. In four. It's an open and shut case. Well, cases in fact. 
It's a set of luggage. For high style elevenses, this gold cafetiere and coffee set. We used to cry. We said, what are we doing giving these people a cafetiere? And Greeny's saying, what's a cafetiere? I thought, I didn't know what it was. I thought it was a lunchbox. Poor old Jim Bourne. I know. We lost him. I, I remember, as you said during the week, uh, Jim Bourne and Stephen Hawking died on the same day. Yeah, and I think they contributed just as much as each other Indeed. to kind of mankind and everything. Um, and I felt that, you know, Jim was lost a little in, in the sadness of the day. Because a little bit. Granted, Stephen had an extraordinary life, but Jim gave us bullseye. He gave us bullseye. Yeah. Where was your bullseye, Stephen Hawking? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I mean, and kind of if you sort of taught them up, which was which meant more to our lives, bullseye. Indeed. I Indeed. Think. Well, it's certainly I, I remember the catchphrase is better from Jim Bowen than I, I don't remember many of Stephen's. No, he, catchphrases was not his thing. It wasn't his thing. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's it's sad. Um, I was reading bits about Bullseye last night. Mm. Uh, I couldn't believe that it was still going in 1995. I couldn't believe that either. I mean, to me, it sort of ended early 80s almost. (laughs) Because, you know... It was quintessential 80s TV. It was. And when you look at it, it is Peter Kay. Like, all Peter Mm. Kay's work is kind of, you know, Bullseye and Jimbo and all that kind of stuff. And... But Challenge TV, bless them, gave us 24 hours of bullseye mm. solid as a tribute to Jim. And so I'm pretty exhausted having kind of sat through all of that. You sat through it, yeah? All 24 hours. What did you hours. learn? Well, I learned, which I'd forgotten, that the best prize of all, people focus on the speedboat. Speedboats do get a lot of press. They do. Yeah. But the remote control cat Go was, on. Uh, I mean, just the best prize ever on a game show. And amazingly, the contestants never looked that thrilled to win a remote control cat. But it was it was fantastic. Where else would you win a remote control cat for hitting a treble 20 or something? It was brilliant. Is, it, that, is that not the ultimate in uh, gifts you didn't know you wanted? Well, yeah, I think so. But uh, like if there was a show now with a remote control cat on offer, you would enter, wouldn't you? I would certainly give it, give it much thought. Oh, yes. Would, yeah, yeah. But in terms of catchphrases, I think the one, you know, there's super smashing great, there's all of that. But it's which, which, just to interrupt, he swears he never said. Really? You know, that the, that he would he would always say smashing, yeah, or, or he would say super, yeah. And, and, and hilari- not hilariously, but I, saw, I found a clip last night or saw a clip where he was uh, saying to a contestant, uh, and what do you do for a living? And he says, I'm unemployed, Jim. And he says, super. <laughs> <laughs> just as a reflex, a reflex. He just, he just was because he was and and said it himself. He was a terrible, terrible TV personality. You know, he just he was he was like your daughter, your uncle, yeah, like you know, yeah. just kind of saying words. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the best of the lot was definitely. Let's look at what you would have won. <laughs> kind of that's sort of like showing a child what Santa would have brought them if they had behaved. I mean, it was kind of a bit cruel. It, it is hilarious when you think about it that they absolutely stumbled upon mm. something that in a million production meetings you wouldn't dream of. <laughs> How will we end the show, lads? I tell you what we'll do. We'll take these people, these poor people from working class backgrounds, because that's that's what it was. Yeah, you know, it yeah. was really he'd see people from Wolverhampton yeah. and Derby and all these mm. all these places, and that's not to denigrate them, but you know what I mean. Mm. And they would and they would come on, and we we'll show them this 
glimpse of a life that they, <laughs> I guess, could aspire to if A, one of them knew their trivia a wee bit better really? and if B, the other one could throw a bloody dart straight. The knowers straight, and the throwers. The knowers yeah. and the throwers. Yeah. yeah. And, but of course, we talk, the speedboat is what people focus on and it still remains a mystery what people living <laughs> in inner city Wolverhampton would do with the speedboat. Yeah. And the other thing is the, there were pairs, like two people won a speedboat, but they had to share it. Yeah. They didn't get a speedboat each. <laughs> and so the three big prizes. Isn't her speedboat. This is it. So like, so the three big, the biggest prize, the one everyone wanted was the car. There was always a sense of mm. disappointment when the curtains opened and it was a speedboat or a caravan. Mm. Or as Jim always stressed, a caravan with double glazed windows. That was the, <laughs> the kind of the big, big selling point. But yeah, like I, I think it reached a point where um, the kind of rubbish prizes were causing a problem because you'd have three pairs trying to get to the kind of final stage of the show. And so whoever won was given the option of... Um, Gambling and going for Bully's big prize. Of course, yeah. And, and the peer pressure from the audience. You couldn't just it. take the money and This run. is it. Yeah. But on one particular show, the winners decided, no, they weren't going to gamble. They wanted to keep their money. Mm. So Jim went to the second placed pair. They didn't want to gamble either. They wanted to keep their money. Now, he was pretty confident going to the third and last pair that they would gamble because they only won 200 quid yeah. between them but they chose not to gamble. They wanted to keep their money. And I think the issue was the speedboat. I think... Nobody wanted the bloody like, speedboat. What am I going to do with the speedboat? <laughs> if I'm living, you know, kind of on the fourth floor... Fourth floor of, the, of a tower block exactly, in Leeds. Yeah, where yeah. do I store it? What do I do with it? So, and the hilarious thing, like if, if anybody under 30 is listening to this or is kind of going, what are you people it. talking about? Yeah. The popularity of this show it's was astonishing. The yeah. Christmas special in 1989 had 19.8 million viewers. That's like royal wedding. It was figures. literally. It was yeah. literally only behind yeah. the Only Fools and Horses and Christmas all special. Riding on the back of the success of darts, I mm. mean, and all the stars of darts appearing on the show. I mean, Eric Bristow was like Lionel Messi. Indeed, you know, he yeah. was just yeah. a Jockey Wilson yeah. megastar. All the celebs who came on to do the. Charity. Indeed. It was epic. It was epic. And I feel, I must say, I feel a, a certain tangential uh, connection to it. I used to live with a guy whose aunt and uncle went on Bullseye. No way. He has at home the bully tankard. No way. That you, that you get, uh, uh, that everybody gets for going on the show. He was a serial killer now, was he? There was a serial there killer? There was a serial killer. And in fact, footage of him on Bullseye helped snare him. What? Yeah. This is true. About? This is true. A guy killed several people, and he had appeared, not on the day, not on the day. But there wasn't a big gap between <laughs> his appearance and Bullseye and him killing several people. I put it to you, Mister Jones, that after you left the Bullseye Studio, yeah. maybe it was he won a speedboat and he was just annoyed and took it out on that'd the be it. I, yeah. I don't know, or didn't win a speedboat. <laughs> Depends how he felt about speedboats. But yeah, killed several people and. They showed clips of him from Bullseye to witnesses to identify him. And that was it. He was snared. My Lord, if this if somebody yeah. hasn't bought the movie. There's right, a movie. There yeah. is some, there's a movie in it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, good old Jim Bowen. God rest, rest you, merry, merry gentleman. And we'll rest in peace. Find him on the other side. <laughs>
funny enough, there's, of course, any amount of sport uh, on this weekend, as we were saying earlier, Mary. And um, one of the big things always on St. Patrick's Day or St. Patrick's Weekend is the uh, club finals. Um, Mark Duncan is in. Uh, he has a piece in today's paper talking about uh, St. Patrick's Day down the years, the GA's relationship with it, and more pertinently, the broadcaster's relationship with it. That's about right, Mark, isn't it? That's right. It's just, uh, what I've done is actually just take a little sliver of sport, sports broadcasting history, but it kind of throws a wider light on the sport culture wars that prevailed for much of the last century. And also maybe it, it throws a light also on the GAA's difficult relationship mm. uh, with the state broadcaster, which as we know kind of still exists, but it was particularly acute uh, in, in the, in the mid-1950s. So what I'm writing about is this incident in 1954, uh, at that time, of course, St. Patrick's Day was the preserve of the interprovincial championships, the uh, Railway Cup, Railway hurling Cup and football course. finals. Mm. Hugely popular uh, at the time. But the GAA had the day to themselves uh, and those games would have been broadcast on uh, Radio Erin and originally on 2RN, which was the forerunner of that. And that's from the 20s on. From the 1920s on, the state yeah. broadcaster, the state broadcasting service, 2RN, which, as I said, becomes Radio Iron, becomes RTE, was founded in 1926. And that's very good timing for the GAA because it coincides with a time when they're greatly expanding uh, their um, suite of competitions. Mm. So you have an introduction of the Railway Cups in 27. You have national mm. leagues being introduced, minor leagues. So, you know, they're moving greatly towards, uh, you know, providing greater kind of spectator entertainment, you know, and they're building grounds to provide for that as well. So it was a marriage made in heaven. This was in the time as they, wasn't there... A quote early on about the GA spreading like a bushfire across the country. Well, that's much earlier. That's yeah. that's that's Cusick in the eighties. In the eighties, yeah. Um, but the this 19, is the consequence. The nineteen twenties yeah. onwards was a period of kind of uh, great growth and mm. kind of rapid transformation, and the media were crucial to all to all of that. Now, the GAA even before radio had a very kind of jaundiced view of an awful lot of the press, particularly the Dublin press. You know, they weren't giving them enough coverage. Uh, there was a few uh, small um, uh, efforts at kind of kickstarting a GAA publishing industry themselves. Some of those newspapers were very short-lived. But radio was different. Radio was the state providing the service. And the GAA felt that the state had a duty towards them uh, to give them kind of preferential mm. uh, treatment uh, in all this. Now, the GA were not given a bad deal uh, by radio, and there's no doubt about that. One of the first live broadcasts of a sporting event in Europe was actually in 1926, very shortly after uh, the sta- very shortly after the station had been founded, and that was a great technological triumph. Uh, but the tensions begin to creep in quite earlier. In the mm. mid-1930s, there's this uh, proposal when they're reading out sports results to include other sports with the GAA results. And the GAA's <laughs> dandle was up on this one. This was, this was sacrilegious. <laughs> and really what you're getting is going to repeat of that in the mid-1950s. 1954, St. Patrick's Day, uh, turns around again, except this time there's a clash of fixtures. Heaven forbid, clash of fixtures. This time the Railway Cups uh, coincide with 
a game between the League of, a League of Ireland selection and the Scottish League mm. across the road in Dalyman Park. In association football. Association football. The Radio Aaron's <laughs> response to this was to be as even-handed as they possibly could. They didn't pull any of the GAA broadcasts, but they were going to include uh, a commentary from Dalyman Park as well as this. The FAI didn't invite it. Radio Aaron offered it to them, yeah. uh, and obviously they they didn't uh, they didn't bite the hand that was feeding them. Well, there was uproar. Uh, the GAA uh, took umbrage uh, at this idea. I think what they, what they called it was you know this kind of hodgepodge of hurling cum soccer that would would be would be <laughs> sounds <broadcast>. fantastic. <laughs> well, it, it does, um, and uh, you know th- this kind of spirit of ecumenism wasn't actually widespread at the time. And you have to remember, I mean. You have to set this in the context of the time. You know, this is the ban era, mm. and uh, you know, uh, and a lot of the rhetoric uh, that was uh, surrounded this mm. kind of um, uh, game was pitched in the extremes. So this was native versus versus an alien game. It was Irish versus foreign. It was indigenous versus you know imported uh, sport. You know, and never the two shall meet. Um, except Radio Air wanted them to meet. Yes. Um, so for the week prior to the game, there was a bit of a standoff between the two of them. Uh, um, and uh, this was played out in the press at the time. You didn't need an FOI to find out what actually was right. passing between the yeah. two sides. Um, the correspondence that went from GAA to Radio Aaron or from Radio Aaron to uh, Crow Park was published in the press at the time so we could actually see what it was. And the positions were absolutely clear. The GAA were basically saying, "Under this is, uh, I, I think what one GAA president called it was an abortion of nationality. Um, it was a mockery. They were being yeah. insulted before the world yeah. and Radio Aaron were unfurling almost three decades of tradition yeah. uh, by introducing the soccer match. For Radio Aaron, it was quite simple. It was an issue of editorial independence. Yeah. GAA will not tell us what we shall broadcast and when we shall yeah. broadcast. And the games, the, 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 the idea had been to actually broadcast it on two different channels. There were two different um, uh, uh, wavelengths going to be used. So for the home audience, we're going to hear um, the Gaelic football match followed by the hurling. And in between, they're going to get commentary from mm. Dalyman Park. In the gaps in between matches and at halftime, they're going to hear it. There was going to be an international broadcast, which was going to be relayed through a service called Radio Brazzaville. Some of you may have actually heard that before. It was kind of based in the French Congo. And it was going to uh, reach North America, all across Africa, where, of course, the Irish missionaries were based. It went into Australia, went into uh, New Zealand uh, also. Um, and uh, that wasn't going to show that that wasn't going to relay the football, but was going to relay the hurling and the soccer together. So the standoff uh, ensues. And the result was that no game was ever broadcast internationally. Okay. No game was broadcast internationally. There was no international broadcast, so no soccer, no the poor old uh, missionaries railway coverage. The poor old missionaries never went heard, without. Never heard from Dahlia or, or from Croker. They went, they went without. Um, I was kind of curious to know what kind of audience are we actually talking about? But there's actually, there, there was a correspondence the year before which threw a bit of light on this. An American brewing company called Schaefer Company had written to Crow Park to ask could they broadcast the All-Ireland football final. They were going to put two microphones in front of me, Hollow Hair. One was going to relay it to Ireland. They were going to record the uh, record on the other microphone, edit it, 
and put it out uh, in on radio stations in Boston in New York and they said this was going to reach a million people. Because they were 1953. 1953. They were going to put it out after the um, after the uh, New York baseball team. Uh, after the, the Mets or the Mets, Yankees. Yankees. Yeah. Yeah. So it was guaranteed a big audience. And so this is six years after the Polo Grants. Six years after the Polo yeah. Grants. Crow Park said no. They were sticking with Radio Brazzaville. Yeah. Uh, a member of the Irish T- Tourist Association or an ex-member of the Irish Tourist Association wrote and said, hold on here. You're being given a gift here. You know, you're given me an editorial control of it. They're going to actually let them listen to it before the broadcast went out because it was recorded. Um, and on Radio Brazzaville, all you're going to reach is a thousand people. Wow. Because you had to go searching for it. Course, it was on a short wave, yeah, way yeah, and yeah, you had to yeah, actually yeah, tune yeah. in to find it. And that's and that's and that's what you did. Great. You know. So um So so on the day on On the day Patrick's itself, Day in nineteen fifty four. On Patrick's Day in nineteen fifty four Nothing went out overseas. Incredible. And there was no Gaelic football went Talk out. Talk about cutting off your nose. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I said, you know, that was kind of, I suppose that was kind of the, the, the context of the time. The band culture, Incredible. the GA were trying to kind of enforce. Control. Uh, control, control. Control. It was all about yeah. control and trying to kind of impose the ban on their kind of uh, partners, you know, and, and RT were kind of fighting back. Yeah, you know? and it was a tension that continued for, for a long time afterwards, like in bits and pieces over the years. I remember even doing a, doing a piece on the on the origins of the Sunday game in, in yep. the sort of the late 70s. And it came from, uh, the, the hilarious part of it is that it came from, you know, the end of year county board convention, say in December, and they're always in the papers. And it's people, uh, fellas, delegates getting up and giving out, you know, what do we do, what do we do, what do we do. And at the time, match of the day was absolutely in its zenith, late 70s, mid to late 70s. Leeds, Chelsea, all these teams and all these guys. And they were all going, why can't we have a match of the day for, for, for Ireland and for the GAA? And exactly like that, it took, at the, at the point of a bayonet, it took the GAA to sanction three or four years after all these rumblings had started. And exactly that, you know, tensions between the broadcasters, between, well, broadcasters, it was RTE, between RTE and the GAA in those days. And that was 20 years after this, you know, it continued and continued. And, and it know? still continues. Yeah. I mean, the reality is, so the lesson from all of this is you actually can't control a message no, and you certainly not, yeah. can't control it in an organisation as vast mm. and as complex as the GAA, you know. Um, you cannot put three people in a room where they won't get into a row mm. over something in exactly. relation to yeah. the GAA. Yeah. So the idea that you can control a message and then people yeah. are interested in it. And it's, it will be interesting to see the next phase of sports broadcasting where an awful lot of sporting organisations are trying to control it themselves, taking an awful lot of the production in-house. Mm. And I think there are, I mean, uh, I think there are limits. I can understand why that appeals to sport organisations, but you, you, you'd you be kind of cautious about it too. You Indeed, know? yeah. They, we'll talk about the games a little bit. Eamon Donoghue has, has joined us from our GAA staff. Eamon, the, the football final this weekend, actually the two games this weekend I know the odd year, it, it you know the, the kind of little village clubs making it all the way to Croke Park. God, it's 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 different this year. You know the the yeah, the yeah. teams, the, all four teams, are are you know they're close to what you'd call nearly super clubs, really, aren't they? Especially in the hurling, it's the first time in a long time that we've had the last two winners mm. playing against each other, and um, I suppose after Ballyhale and Portumna and kind of the last few years, these two teams are kind of both 
going for that title of you know mm. super club but it's a really juicy game like these yeah. are the two best teams the last two years last three years maybe they're serious couple of Kula and, and Napiersig from a serious couple of teams yeah yeah it'll be interesting for Kula especially because obviously there's in Dublin there's, there's the hype and you know the last two years their average winning margin in, in Leinster and the All-Irelands has been by 10 points mm. they haven't they haven't really been tested so mm. even just to see them be tested um, it'll be a massive one and in, in the football final you're talking about two of the powerhouses in terms of Nemo are going for the record amount of um, of wins and then Carfin of course in recent years mm. have, been, have been so strong and also in that final as well it's two teams who play really good you know attacking fat, like they're very different but they both play with such speed and mm. it should really be two really um, exciting games like mm. so um, it's good for Nemo actually Nemo they, they, they've been out of it for the guts of a decade haven't really been back near this yeah this stage amazing. in the competition. I don't think anyone's going to cry for Nemo. No, 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 that's true. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, club yeah, championships. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think Cara Finn have just been so consistent mm. in the last number of years, you know, and and Nemo just seem you know at ease when they're going to mm. get mm. get to Crow Park. Mm. You know, I think that's going to be a terrific game. I think the hurling is really interesting as well. The yeah. point Eamon was making, you know, Kula. It's a measure of how good they are that nobody's got within touching distance mm. of them. I mean, their most competitive games in the last two years have been in the Dublin club finals, oh, yeah. uh, where they've beaten my own club, Kilmacud, mm. by you know, a point or two yeah. um, uh, in, in, in both years. But once they get out of Dublin, they just kind of they kind of seem to they have grown, and I think Crow Park suits them. Very mobile, very very skillful. You know. Um, I was reading some kind of stats that were being published over the last couple of years, you know, but the amount of possession they, they retain of mm. puckouts and things like that, very well organised, you know. There, um, well, anytime I've seen Kulu, what I make of them is that they're 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 so um, they're so you know sticky at the back, you know, Oshin Goff, Paul Shiri, these guys, but um, Con is just a, like he's a marvel. Especially in club hurling, Conor Callahan, it's nearly unfair. Sometimes you watch him. I remember being at maybe their first Leinster game this year, one of them, or maybe I was at both of them actually. Uh, I think the first seven possessions he got, he went for a goal every time, <laughs> and he kept at it till he got one. You know, he, he, he just gets the ball, goes for a goal, and like, and just in just in case you were kind of thinking, yeah, they were playing the Wexford champions, and just in case you were kind of thinking. Uh, uh, well, this guy's a one-trick pony because all he does is, is go for goals. For the start of the second half, the first three balls, he kind of skated out around the 45 and hit three points over his shoulder without even looking at the post. He's an absolute marvel. He of also hurling. lays off the ball really well. Mm. He brings in other mm. players. And, and it's not just that it's club hurling because actually he's mm. playing against his man marker. is a very usually a, a very established Well, it was hilarious. In the, in the, they were playing the Kilkenny champions uh, who's, who's named quietly... Dixborough, was it Dixborough? They, they escapes me anyway. Um, <laughs> they had Killian Buckley. Um, yeah. And... Uh, for whatever reason, they decided, no, we'll let Killian Buckley's too good a player to leave him sitting back there and marking Conor Callahan because you kind of waste him in the full back line. Yeah. Uh, ten minutes into the game, they were two four to no score down, and then put Killian Buckley back yeah, on Con. Yeah. You know, game was over. You know, but you look back out the field and look at the way they approach the game, and that they're playing to Con's strengths. Mm. You know, they're banging diagonal balls into space. Oh yeah, and they bring and bring everybody out, leave him in there yeah, on his own. And 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 as I said, very mobile. So players are running off him all the mm. time. I mean they've got great athleticism in their half forward yeah, line as well. And, and but Napierce are are such a fantastic team. You know, like it's a it's a miracle Limerick have made it up into Division One A 
yeah. you know, having to do without 10 of them it's again very, this year. It's very interesting, the two of them. It's Nipirsi won their first ever title in 2011. And Kula won their first in 21 years. Mm. I think it was in 2015. Mm. So, like, just since then, they've been so consistent. Like, uh, they went with, uh, Nipirsi went without Shane Dowling for up until mm. that semi-final and he came on. And they've just been so, you know, Ronan Lynch midfield, Dowling inside, um, Kevin Downs a full forward. Mm. You know, they've got, it's going to be a, a battle of two attacks more than anything, which makes mm. it very exciting. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're, they're such a, they're such a well-balanced team yeah. and they're going to really, really put it up to... Yeah, hopefully, because the club finals can can sometimes be a, a bit of a damn squib. You know, there's all this build-up and, mm-hmm. and everybody, you know, there's all this Patrick's Day fervour and all that kind of stuff. And God, sometimes the games are, are grim mm-hmm. enough watching, you know. It depends the routes they've come, yeah. you know, and uh, sometimes you end up with the mismatch where actually the great, game, bit of that, the great yeah, game is that, the All-Ireland semi-final. Exactly, the two best the teams, final, yeah, you know? yeah. And... Often, sometimes you wonder. It is. It's also also a different game. If you're playing your semi-final in the 14th of February in your final on the mm-hmm. St Patrick's Day, and St Patrick's Day could be a glorious day. It's a completely different game, and Crow mm-hmm. Park is a different pitch, yeah. and you know, different teams adjust to it. Yeah, uh, especially in, in hurling. In different ways, especially, especially in, in hurling. You know, you know? You, exactly as you say, you could have played your 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 semi-final in Tullamore or something like that, yeah. and, uh, with the sleet coming in sideways. <laughs> Five weeks ago, yeah. and here you are in Patrick's Day, and it, well, I don't, I don't think it's going to be a glorious day. No, actually, it's but not. <laughs> it, it, you no, know, it's not. But um, still, I think it's, I think it's, uh, I think this one should kind of break the cycle of the last number of years. Yeah. I think people are expecting, uh, expecting a close game, you know. And obviously, Nipirchik have the, you know, they've been there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They'll feel good. comfortable. Yeah. There. Listen, lads, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for helping us out, and uh, we will talk to you again sometime. I want to thank uh, Gavin and John who we had on earlier for the rugby um, thank Jenny and JJ who have helped us out behind the desk and most especially for the super sub coming in to help us out while my regular partner is off falling off his skis somewhere the great Mary Hannigan we will make you do this again sometime I promise you I know the last time I promised you that I would never make you do this again but I, I'm a, I've lied to your face before I won't do it this time <laughs> thanks very much everyone we'll see you all next time bye